Hello and welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And this week we're discussing episode 10 of season 5, but not as cute as Pushkin, which I realized only after the fact that this this episode title also draws from a quote within the episode, and I didn't notice that before. There's a lot of that in season 5. Yes, and I find that the writing in this episode in particular was quite was quite strong. I don't know if that was just me being in a mood while I was watching it, but I found like even you know with a show like Gilmore Girls, no matter how many times you watch it, especially a show like Gilmore Girls, um, when you know like when you love it and you love the characters, like to me good writing like supersedes that. Even if you love the characters, like the writing has to be strong enough for me to laugh every single time that I watch it. And I find this is this is one episode where it always gets me to laugh. Sorry, which part in particular? <laughs> oh, well, a lot of parts. Like, I find Paris is, like, on... Paris is really funny in this episode. Um, I don't know, Luke yelling at an old lady was funny. <laughs> um, butt-faced miscreants. There's a lot of... I think there's a lot of strong points in this episode. Yeah, so I don't necessarily disagree. <laughs> um, I just think that... I don't know... <sighs> I think Rory in this episode, or I should say Alexis Bledel, is not her strongest acting episode. Well, I don't know. If, have we shared this on the podcast of how much my mother hates Alexis Bledel? Yes, we share that on the podcast. Okay. And we've, we've discussed Deborah and her dislike. Yes, um, because my mother can do a very good impression of Alexis Bledel because she hates her in everything. <laughs> and um, I, so whenever you say she's this is not her strongest acting performance, all I hear is my, is my mother's voice in my head doing her Rory Gilmore impression, and it's hard to ignore sometimes. No, but I think, so gen- in general, I think everyone on the show does really, really well. The actors and actresses on the show do really, really well. Um, and that's true of Alexis Bledel, too, and I think she really embodied Rory Gilmore. And, you know, when you say, I couldn't imagine another actor playing this character. Mm-hmm. I think that's just as true um, of Alexis Bledel and Rory's character. The reason I say I don't think it's her strongest um, acting performance is that, and this is my theory, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but my theory is that she had to learn so much useless Yale dialogue Okay. that it's hard to kind of act that. Yeah, I feel like... You know what I mean? Yeah, there was a lot of... Like, she was essentially playing tour guide and just spewing facts about Yale University. Yeah. And at times, I could see her mind kind of working to get all the facts out. And it's really hard to zhuzh that up. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's interesting in terms of, like, as an actress, you kind of have, like, you have to have something on the page to work with. And I... Yeah. You're probably right in terms of she was just spewing random facts about Yale but at the same time it seemed on brand for Rory like I feel like Rory Rory Gilmore would know all of that trivia just off the top of her head yeah I think I definitely think that's true and I think earlier in the episode where she's discussing what she's gonna do with Anna with Richard Mm -hmm. I think it's way more Rory in like how she gets so excited about it and like what are we gonna do oh the Gutenberg the toe like I think that was much better acted Mm -hmm. um and that embodied Rory and how excited she gets about academia and the history of the university and all that. I just think that like, while she's explaining all of that and it's just one long five minute scene 
of her just spewing bullshit and dates and who this guy was. And, you know, I, I, I don't think there's much meat to work with there as an actor. Like, I, I don't like you'd have to take my word for it because I don't know her. But <laughs> I'd imagine that if you asked her, she'd be like, yeah, that wasn't the best because there's nothing to do there. Right. And I feel like there might have been a lot of instances for Alexis Bledel where there might not have been a lot of meat to Rory's character. And maybe she would, I think maybe now that she's older and she's done, she has a bit more acting credits than she had when she did Gilmore Girls, which was her breakthrough, obviously. So mm-hmm. I think I think that happens a lot where like you see actors, you know, in some kind of like GQ or BuzzFeed video watching like old scenes that they've done. And you can see it in their face, like they're trying to find something positive or funny to say. And there's like... Oh, yeah, like, that was a boring, ep- like, you can see in their face, like, that was a boring episode or whatever, you know, I feel like if, if we sat Alexis down in front of a camera and asked her, like, what about this episode? And she'd be like, mm, I don't even remember, because it was that unmemorable. Yeah, or it's just, I would imagine also, it's just one of those episodes where there's not much, there's nothing in that those lines that move the story along. So it's yeah. literally, you're just regurgitating facts. Whereas if you are, if there is a bunch of dialogue, let's say, or there's something, even if you're monologuing, but it has something to do with the story and the advancement of the plot, I feel like you can engage with that material more (laughs) in a way that you can't with this kind of material, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of don't blame her for maybe um, appearing as though she was just trying to say the fucking line and get get it over with. yeah, those are just my two cents about that. <laughs> well, no, it's it's interesting because I bet there's a lot of, if 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 you had applied that logic to a bunch of other shows or episodes or episodes of of Gilmore Girls, um, you could probably see it in a lot of supporting players more so than maybe the lead stars. But considering that Alexis Bledel is not a supporting player on her own show, so um, yeah, I guess there wasn't a whole lot to work with creatively speaking here. Yeah, and I. I would imagine that for Alexis Bledel playing a character like Rory, who in the first three seasons is, um, how do I say? Like her character is very stagnant. Like she's the good girl who studies, who wants to get into college, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and her character doesn't really stray from that. Um, I would imagine playing that Rory as opposed to college Rory, where she's getting into a little bit more adventures and maybe doing stuff that are even out of character for the character. Um, I would imagine that's much more exciting for a char- for an actor to do, right? Yeah. Um, to push your character a little bit after you've played them three, four years the same way. Very well, I might add. Like, I have no no qualms about it. But I would imagine that as an actor, you, you get excited at the prospect of maybe doing something different and seeing your character do something different, you know? Interesting you bring that up, though, considering how many times in the, in the fandom online has it come up where it's, oh, the writers ruined Rory's character or, or before they ruined Rory or before something X, Y, Z happened to Rory. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did, are you not here for character growth and development? Did you just want the same, like, stagnant character, as you said, from seasons one, two, and three, who was just the good girl who's, you know, kept her head down and had one goal her whole life? Like, sorry, that's not realistic. And I think come end of season five, season six, and especially in season seven, it's like, no, you have to have a little bit of reality and humility in Rory. You can't just have her be stagnant. I like that word. We're going to use that. <laughs> We're going to use that. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think the criticism 
the the problem that I have with a lot of the criticism surrounding Rory's character and how they always say, yeah, exactly like you said, oh my god, they ruined Rory. It's like she was never going to stay in Stars Hollow forever and be the same person. Um, we met her when she was 16. You expected her to be exactly the same at 22. Like yeah. it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so, um, you know, she is going off. She's meeting new people, especially there's a lot of criticism in season five about her. Um, I guess they would call it jumping ship and going more into her, her grandparents world. Yes. Um, but I think that's normal when you're going to an Ivy league college and you're surrounded by people, you know, of your grandparents world, these, you're making new friends, you know? And, and one interesting thing about that criticism about, you know, whenever someone says, oh, before they ruined Rory or how did it like, did it hurt when they when your the writers of your favorite show ruins your favorite character? And in our, in our case, that's when they ruined Lane because they. Yeah, ruined- I've never equated that <laughs> quote to Rory. No. And it's like to me, I find when anybody else uses that against Rory, like did it hurt when they ruined your favorite character, meaning Rory? A lot of people, at least in the fandom online and on social media, don't have a follow up. It's like, well, well, why do you think they ruined Rory? Like, oh, wow. Because I don't like it. <laughs> Pretty much. That I I don't know. Like I don't. To me, that's not really. I guess I'm gonna say responsible fandomhood, even though that's not really a thing. But you know what I mean? That's not like that's not being a responsible fan in my in my opinion. Like you kind of have to have a bit of nuance and. Um, like you like nuance and personal judgment in your own opinions about a show. You can't just have like you can't you know. I don't know. It's annoying. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I think. I mean, I think it's normal that that happens as shows go on. Sometimes you find yourself annoyed with certain characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often than not, I don't think it's the character's fault. I think, I think hating a character stems from hating a storyline. Yeah. Unless, in my opinion, unless a character is written to be hated. Oh, unless the character is Christopher Hayden. No, well, yeah. But, no, but seriously, unless a character is, like, written to be the villain of the story and everyone gets it and, like, we clearly understand that this character is there solely for the purposes of being a villain and evil. Yeah. Um, I find more often than not, it's not the character you have a problem with. It's the way the writer's it's the direction the writers are taking the story in Mm -hmm. because often, and I, I would say most of the time your character stays the same. Yeah. And how they would react in these scenarios stays the same. You just don't like the scenario. (laughs) Yeah. Like I find as I've gotten older, maybe you, maybe you can relate or other. Oh my God. You and you and any comment about aging (laughs) or maybe some of our listeners can relate to like, as I don't know, to me as I consume stuff as I get older, it's hard. Like, it's hard for me to downright hate a character. Like, yeah, that character is unlikable. He's written that way because you like they want the audience to dislike them. But to me, I don't know. I I just pick up on a lot of more character details and just a lot of their flaws and say, okay, I'm not. I don't necessarily like sympathize with them. Like, they might still be a piece of shit. But it's hard for me to say like, oh, I hate them. Like, I'll just say like, oh, they're pissing me off right right now because the storyline might go in a different direction or yeah. Whatever it is, I don't know. To me, I'm not going to say I sympathize or necessarily empathize, but when a show has strong enough writing and, like, strong enough storytelling to establish why the audience is supposed to dislike them, 
I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just my English major brain because it's hard. Even when I would hate like read a book for a class and I'm like, oh, I hate this. Like I don't like this. But then I have to sit down and write an essay about it and analyze it. By the end of the experience, I'm like, okay, well I can't say I didn't like this because I've done so much research and backlog and backlog and an analysis on it that it's like I have a I have a bit of an appreciation even if I didn't enjoy reading it. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing with like a character I didn't like if my cerebral brain is kicked in when I'm watching it. It's like, okay, well, I don't like them personally, but like, I, I get, I get why they're written that way, you know? Yeah. And I think that just has to do with how we consume media as we get older. Mm-hmm. So I think as you get older and gain more life experiences and can kind of see things for their nuanced selves, yeah, you start to bring that to like all aspects of your life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not to say that I will ever see the good in Christopher because there is none. Thank you. No, and that was the thing too is that there was like a character like Christopher. I think I'm not gonna say he was written to always be a villain, but he was always written as like the shadow in the corner that comes out when you least expect it. Like I wouldn't call him a villain, but he certainly is an antagonist in many scenarios on the show. Yeah, I mean he's always there to to derail things exactly yeah so i don't know what he's never not shown up just to show up Mm -hmm. he's always shown up when they need to shake things up yeah there is a little there is a literary technique for that um, a name for that kind of character and it's escaping me now so if anybody knows what it is please remind us or don't whatever (laughs) she doesn't care (laughs) i don't give a fuck (laughs) anyways um those are my two cents about alexis bledel uh in this episode but so there's two main things in this episode going on mm-hmm. and one of them is uh drives me actually insane okay because i do not believe that after knowing luke for a decade plus lorelei and rory don't know what the rest of the town knows okay so that he has is, a dark day this is the first note that i made in my notes for this episode and I'm so glad that we are on the same page with this because I just I don't get this trope of Lorelai not knowing little particulars about Luke after supposedly knowing him for x amount of years and now dating him and I have to ask you your opinion is like I mean I'm not like let's leave Rory out of the equation for the moment just Lorelai like Lorelai not knowing these little particulars of him having a dark day. She had no idea who Rachel was in season one, and even though Suki did, and all like the town knew, but like she didn't. And it's it's obviously written that way because Lorelai is, is the protagonist, and Lorelai um, is the center of the story. And obviously, her coming to terms with it is like the audience learning about it and coming to terms with it. So I get I get how it works in a storytelling sense. But is she just self-absorbed, and that's why she doesn't know these things? So. I think the reason it bothers me so much sometimes is because we've already criticized Lorelai, and I think by we, I mean the fandom in general, mm-hmm. has criticized Lorelai in the past about the fact that she's not as um, involved in other people's lives. Yeah. And is kind of self-centered sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, you know, that episode where we were talking about um, after Jackson won the town selectman election and she goes upstairs to Luke's and she's like, oh, my God, you were sleeping. Why didn't I know that? You know, like little things like that that she doesn't really catch on to. Yeah. Because I don't know if it's more self-centered or just like 
forgetful, flaky. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, really obvious in bigger things like this, like not knowing about Rachel and not knowing about his dark day. You kind of have to think to yourself, okay, yeah, I know it's a show and they're like introducing it now as a plot point. Like I always have that in the back of my mind too. But at the same time, I'm always like, do you give a shit? Yeah, exactly. That's what like, like that's what stands out to me is that not even that you I don't, I'm not gonna say she doesn't give a shit, but like, do you like do you care enough to notice kind of thing? Yeah, I mean it. It seems sometimes when you know it's a running thing in the show that sometimes Lorelai will say like my friend Luke and Luke is like you're my customer kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, that episode in season four where she was really upset that Luke didn't tell her that he moved. Right. Because friends tell each other these things, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, friends also know things, other things about each other. And look, that's not to say, like, I don't, I think it's also plausible because Luke is also very, um, closed off. Yeah, he's, he's, right? Yeah, he's kind of private. He's very private. But the fact that the entire town knows, and then I was thinking to myself, like, Okay, maybe the entire town knows because they knew his father, too, right? Um, yeah, but still. And I think we're made to believe that his father died before Lorelai got to Stars Hollow. But still, you would think if you were friends with somebody for 15 years, you would... Okay, maybe not 15. Let's say 10 no, years. But, but the timeline makes no sense, as we already established. Yeah, we've already established. So let's say 10 years. You've been friends with him for 10 years. Wouldn't you notice, or because the, the town knows for yeah. the past, let's say, three decades... Wouldn't you kind of notice that every November 30th, like, he disappears? Or yeah. he, you know, like, I just don't understand. Especially um, since, like, you claim to go to Luke's every single day, which clearly you don't, because, you know, maybe one day you just don't, and that's yeah. fine. But, for you know, for someone who claims to be such a fan of Luke's coffee and can't function at Luke's coffee, like, clearly you function without it every, every year on November 30th, and you've never really noticed. So yeah. I think in a way that is... Lorelai being a little self-absorbed, self-involved, yeah. um, and I think I think everybody's kind of like that to some extent because at a certain point everyone is living their own life and we can, we can all get wrapped up in our own lives and stressors and et cetera and we don't we don't mean to sometimes forget other people or no, of course not but, but I mean you know I, I think even the way she interacts with Suki sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like Suki knows way more about you than you know about her. Oh, for sure, and especially like we we hate Suki as much as we as much as we've discussed, and we anytime we analyze her, we're like, this bitch is fucking stupid, you know. But <laughs> um, no, that's a good point because Suki definitely knows Suki's a better friend than Lorelai. That's for sure in terms of being like in terms of being there. Like, would Lorelai like Lorelai? Yeah, in terms of they can rely on each other, they lean on each other. That's that's different. But I in terms of Knowing intricacies, Suki definitely knows more. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that I always keep in the back of my mind when watching these episodes and having these thoughts is, okay, well, clearly these are the protagonists and like the show revolves around them. So it would be normal for other characters to also revolve around them, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just in instances like this, I'm, I always wonder if it's, because it's a plot point that they're using. Yeah. Or if it's really because they're trying to tell us something about Lorelai's character. And I think overall, 
we can all agree that one of Lorelai's flaws is she's very self-centered. Yes. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, I, is she a better friend than Suki? No, but she's a pretty good friend. And, you know, yeah. she does do stuff for the town and she participates and, you know, she cares about Luke as we're going to see in this episode. So, like, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's one of her flaws. I think it's what Gen Z would describe as being, like, bad bitch main character energy or something in terms of, like, she, she <laughs> in terms of she fulfills this archetype from the early 2000s-ish where, you know, in a, like, a, uh, a white woman in a rom-com or a a uh, you know network dramedy such as Gilmore Girls, you know what I mean? Like just that aesthetic that Lorelai Gilmore embodies. Like you know, there's any other Kate Hudson, Renee Zellweger type rom-com role, similar situation. Um, so I think I think that there's a certain level of self-centeredness and self-absorption that comes with that aesthetic and that character type. So I feel like that's that makes sense. Yeah, I also think that it's okay to insert flaws in your characters. Yeah. Because what makes me hate a character, and not so much a character, but what makes me hate a show sometimes is that, like, everyone's perfect. Yes. <laughs> Nobody can do any wrong, you know? Um, you know, I talked about it, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before, but, like, the fact that every single guy that Rory meets falls in love with her. Yeah. Like, that annoys me. Yes. You know, because it's perpetuating this, oh, she's just so perfect. And, you know, I like when people have flaws. That makes them not one-dimensional, you know? And I feel like that's that's kind of what makes Rory two-dimensional in some other context where it's like everyone sees her as, as the image that she purports, whereas obviously beneath the surface there's much more, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think I think it's okay to admit even when your favorite characters have flaws like Luke and Lorelai love them to death together mm-hmm. but Luke can't communicate and Lorelai also keeps things from him and she's can be a little self-centered yeah you know but that's okay they're still a great couple together and you're still allowed to stand them as Gen Z says <laughs> did I say that correctly yeah kind of <laughs> kind of shut up anyways <laughs> So the premise of Luke's Dark Day is that it's the anniversary of his father's death on November 30th. And every day, every year on that day, excuse me, he goes away, disappears to take some time for himself to think about his dad. Um, you and I have have gone through loss. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you. Yes. Because it's it's funny we're talking about this now. Um, that we're we're at this point of the of the season now because the anniversary of my father's death just recently passed. Oh, I didn't and even I, I didn't even didn't even know what 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 the anniversary of your dad's passing was. Anyways, it was February 11th. It's fine. Oh, I but, did know. I did know that. Okay, continue. <laughs> I mean, regardless. Um, and you know, I've had I've I've had some other deaths in my family. The dates, you know. I wanted to ask you because I know we've we've experienced similar levels of loss. Mm-hmm. Um. Do anniversary dates mean anything to you? Um, they mean more to, like, for example, in my family, they mean more to, like, me and my mom versus, like, my dad's side of the family. For example, like, when my dad's father passed, so my grandfather, I was eight months old. And I know it was in, like, we know it was in August, but 
like none of them like none of them really remembered the date like I'm sure someone does know the date if I asked around which I don't but like my dad doesn't know the date like it's just he knows he died in August so like right to them it was not gonna say it was insignificant but like once it happened it was done and that's that's kind of how they deal with things which is you know unhealthy but that's a whole other story um <laughs> but in terms of like if you know the date that somebody mm-hmm. died is it like every year on that date you go insane no so for because me this like is what i find unrealistic about the storyline yeah no so from i'm glad i'm glad you brought this up because i was gonna i was gonna broach the subject but i wasn't sure how the, i wasn't sure how it would you know obviously because we both experienced loss but i wasn't sure how it would be how it would be received um no, to, I don't go insane. No, to me, like, I, I definitely remember the day. I think me and my mom kind of have our own different reactions to it. She, she might, like, mention it towards the end of the day. Um, Like, I know, like, bigger bigger anniversaries might hit harder just because, like, you, something reminds you. And it's like, oh, wow, that's actually, that was 10 years ago or yeah. whatever it was. Like, for me, um, like, the anniversary of, of my cousin's passing is November 15th. And I think... That sticks out a bit more to me. And it's funny because, like, he died November 15th and my aunt, his mom, died November 1st of the previous year. So, um, like, really close together. But November 15th sticks out more to me than November 1st. And I think that's a bit more just because of his death was a bit more of a shock and unexpected, whereas my aunt was, you know, terminal. So it was mm. a bit, you know, a bit more expected. Not that death is ever welcome, but... Um, so no, like I think I think November fifteenth means more to me just because a it was unexpected. Um, you know, he was one of my favorite cousins. Um, he meant a lot to me growing up, even though we were different, like very far apart in age. I think he was nine and a half years older than me. Um, but no, he like he he was just special to me. Like he always made an effort with me when I was growing up, and um, like I didn't have I'm an only child, I didn't have any brothers and sisters, so like those cousins were kind of like my brothers in a lot of ways. And then it all went to hell in a handbasket later on. But, um, um, no, like, November 15th means a lot to me just because I remember everything I did that day. Mm. When it ha- and, like, when it happened and, like, when we got the call and everything. So I was right. I was 12. And just the way, like, the way it kind of happened was uh, was very, like, very much a shock and took me a long time to process. And probably I'm still processing it as the years go by. But, um, no, like, it, it's kind of just etched in me. You know what I mean? It's some kind of strange depressing mental illness way (laughs) yeah i mean the reason i bring it up is because every time this episode would come around Mm -hmm. and everyone's like oh no he goes away and he does his own thing and like we don't want to find him and like they're making it seem like i don't know for me like i'm obviously aware of the passing of time like how long it's been since my father passed away so please, but, since I since I expressed my feelings, please express yours. <laughs> well, I'm gonna. <laughs> um, so when we were younger, it was obviously a big thing. Like, but I also think it's more of a cultural thing for us too because we we have to go to church on specific dates mm-hmm. and have memorials on specific dates. Um, and we were always really worried about my grandmother. And like, cause her, her health literally always took a turn for the worse around the time of the anniversary. Yeah. Um, so we were always a little bit more on guard, but in terms of like the date itself being significant and I have to like sequester myself and like not interact with the public. 
Mm-hmm. No. No. Like, I don't think that's how it works. No, and it's funny. Like, I was going to say that Luke's, I'm not, you know, not, not, and he's fictional, obviously, but not yeah. to, and not to impugn on any, any one person's uh, interpretation or dealing with of grief because it yeah. affects everyone differently. But Luke is fictional and we can bitch about fictional people. Um, so I don't know. To me, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go as far as say unhealthy because, you know, you do you, but I think, he's kind of just like a dumb straight dumb straight white man in that he doesn't know how to process his feelings so it's just bottled up so much that it, it all lets out on one day because you never dealt properly dealt with it if that makes sense yeah i mean i think my issue with the way this storyline was written mm-hmm. is that i and like you said we're not trying to like do grief the way you do grief you know what i mean yeah exactly um but I think it's just really weird to say, to think of somebody, to think of the fact that grief only affects you on one day of the year. No, exactly. That, that's that's what's most unrealistic. You can't I think, bottle, yeah. And I you, even, can't bottle, you can't bottle grief and then open it on one day a year. Yeah. And, I, and then I, you know, I'm thinking of the fact that, like you said, Luke is a very private person, a very closed off person doesn't like to express his emotions i get it so maybe it is the one day a year that he can take some time for himself mm-hmm. but the problem is is the way i process things i think yeah. the way most people process things i should say is that like you said we can't just like turn off of our ta- turn on our feeling faucet yeah and turn it off at 11 59 p.m exactly and be like i'm gonna wake up on the 12th and be okay <laughs> you know yeah. um I know people, for example, who have lost loved ones and let's say on the anniversary of their death, they take a day to kind of remember them Mm -hmm. in a more, I guess, formal way, I should say. Like they'll go to the cemetery or they'll get together with family and friends and they'll talk about them. But that grief doesn't go away just because the day changes, right? No, it doesn't. Like every year on February 11th, like, oh my God, I'm dying. And then I wake up on February 12th and I'm fine. (laughs) In fact, this year, it wasn't even a big thing, I guess. Like, I was aware of the date, obviously. And yeah. I guess in my family, we're always aware of the date because my father passed away on the 11th and my cousin was born on the 12th. Oh, jeez. Uh, but not in the same year, obviously, but it was his birthday. So my poor cousin, it really sucks for him. But um, but also, at, like, we welcomed a new member of the family this year. Like, my nephew was born. Yeah. So there was a lot going on, you know. And, like, yeah, not to say I'm not sad, but I'm sad 365 about the fact that my dad died, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm, like, I'm the same kind of way. I'm not necessarily 365 about my cousin, but more so what comes to my mind is, like, my grandmother who passed eight years ago this year. And funny, when we're talking about dates, like... I'm less, I'm less, her, her, her date of passing is less etched for me only because, like, like, the official you know, date of her passing was March, May 20th, because by the time, like, people got to, like, by the time, you know, like, the coroner and such got to her house, like, she passed in her sleep overnight. Mm-hmm. So, to me, it was, like, to me, it was the 19th, because, like, I remember when the phone rang, it was still, it was, wasn't before midnight, like, I was kind of dozing, I hadn't fallen asleep yet, it was, like, let's say it was 11, whatever, and um, I remember my mom, my mom was working an evening shift, and she got home, and like I'm because we have like we have those like phones that have like talking um talking caller ID so like when the phone will ring it'll say call from whoever yeah. um, 
So I remember like hearing my grandmother's name when the phone rang. So like my first instinct was ever something was wrong. It was more like always something was wrong. You wouldn't call it 11 o'clock at night, but it was like my aunt lived with her. So like, well, maybe it was something wrong with my aunt. Like she was having an emergency looking for my mom. Like never in a million years did my mind go to something was wrong with my grandmother, you know? So mm-hmm. I remember my mom came home from an evening shift and like I was, because the phone rang, like I was more awake and like I've always had trouble sleeping, obviously. So I remember, I remember asking my mom like, oh, is, like, is everything okay with Nanny? Like never for an, a minute thinking like it could be her, you know? And she's like, oh, yeah, she's just not feeling well. Like, okay. Like, you know, could mean, like, oh, she's having a heart problem. Like, she means she, like, she doesn't feel well. They're going to go to the hospital. Whatever. It'll be fine, you know? Um, yeah, that was that. And then, like, I found out. My my parents my parents are very are very skilled at waiting to tell me these things. Like, oh, my, I only, my family, too, is really, really good at that. <laughs> I only found out the following day when I got home from school. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, to me, like, that because the days like I guess is scared like to me it was like oh she she must have passed when, like when my aunt called that night it was before midnight and like she had already passed but by the time anyone got there it was like after midnight you know so like the date was officially the 20th anyway for, like dates it doesn't matter as much but I remember like in in May every time like it'll hit me a, a bit more but it hits me all time like all times of the year like me and my grandmother were very close so like that, like that grief, I'm definitely still processing more so than my cousin because it just happened at different times in life. But um, I feel like I'm very, I feel like I'm oversharing today. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I, I just think it was a weird way to depict grief, even for somebody that we know that's emotionally stunted, like Luke. Yeah, like I don't think I don't think necessarily it was it was saying like this is the the one and only way to depict grief but it was definitely it was definitely suggesting that you can bottle grief and only open it on one day a year and then you're fine the next day and for all we know like maybe luke is not fine like maybe he knows the day is coming is he like he knows maybe november 1st like oh it's november like that's like this is the month it's coming like maybe he does feel it all year long but because he's, he never learned how to properly process his feelings yeah he, he tries to bottle it up and only open that bottle on november 30th but it doesn't really work that way you know yeah and I feel like obviously in the scene where he's yelling at the little old lady who by the way looks like a q-tip it's hilarious (laughs) um with her hair (laughs) but like obviously the timing of that sucks because she's telling him like you need to move this boat that he hasn't looked at in forever yeah um that's his dad's like two days before the anniversary of his dad's death so obviously not great timing um so maybe like I understand why maybe he was more upset this year. Um but yeah, I just had a whole problem with that whole the way grief was written in this episode and it kind of made me question if anyone on the writing staff had ever lost anyone. Um, yeah, and I feel like I feel like with a show like Gilmore Girls not that, not that they couldn't address a heavy topic like grief, but in order to I don't know, I don't think I don't think it was that deep, you know, in terms of they they wanted to. I don't think I don't think they went as far as thinking like how are we going to accurately portray grief here. It was more just like Luke has a dark day. Okay, what what do we think about that? Like that. Also, was, can we talk about the fact that everyone in town refers to it as a dark day, as if they got together at a town meeting and decided to trademark this shit? Like 
But that to me says says it's been happening long enough that everyone has noticed, and that's why. But I that's what I'm it. saying. Like it doesn't make sense. Lorelai and Rory get your heads out of your asses. Yeah, and especially then then Lorelai asks Rory like for her for her diary entries. And I love that. That's another scene that makes me laugh out loud every time. It's like, is but you do have your diaries from last year with you at Yale, so you can look at it and say, well, we did well, we did November 30th last year. You know, eight, eight o'clock woke up. 8.15, brushed teeth. 8.25, had impure thoughts. <laughs> Guess that was really funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, whatever. Moving on from Luke's grief. Um, I do want to talk about, though, the way the the boat was handled by both of them. I do have to say, on the topic of Luke and his da- and the and the dark day before we move on, my mom's birthday is member, it was member 30th. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, I once called Jeffrey in a panic because in my in my notes app do you remember this i think so yeah in my notes app i had written that his mom's birthday was november 31st oh yeah (laughs) i was like there's no november 31st you fucking idiot and then i was like just to confirm your mom's birthday is the 30th (laughs) yeah i remember that (laughs) yeah anyways that's just an aside um yeah so i do want to talk about the way lorelei and luke both handled the boat situation so Mm. luke's Instinct was to say, fuck it, get rid of it. I don't want to see it. Um, and Laura was like, I think he's going to regret that. So she takes the boat in. Um, along with 47 thigh masters, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Luke is then upset because he says, you didn't listen to what I wanted. It was my decision to make. You don't listen as usual. So that to me was it confirmed in my mind what we were saying of like, I think yes. Okay. Introducing the dark day that they don't know about as a plot point, but I think they're also trying to like tell us, no, this is actually one of Lorelai's flaws. She does not listen. (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about this because how shall I say Luke to me, when his rea- like his reaction to, I feel like Lorelai was being trying to be thoughtful. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying she and did the wrong thing. No, I would have. But it's more so when, like, when he's kind of yelling at her about it. To me, it's like, okay, so there was red flags here very early <laughs> on. To me, because I don't know, maybe because seasons six and seven are fresh in my brain right now. But it's just it's it's foreshadow foreshadow (laughs) yeah well okay leave that word alone for now (laughs) um but anyways he he basically yells at her and tells her like you didn't do what i wanted this wasn't your decision to make like you went against my wishes kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then at miss patty's 40th anniversary of this business week i'll show (laughs) um you know he he calls her outside and he's like he apologizes to his credit he apologizes Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think in that situation, I probably would have done the same thing as Lorelai. Yeah. I probably would have been like, he's going to regret this. This is something from his dad. He's just acting irrationally now. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have taken in the boat as well. Yeah. Um, but I kind of didn't like the way Lorelai backed down. Yeah. Um, 
you know, not to say that she shouldn't have apologized, you know, it clearly upset him. So maybe apologize, but maybe, I don't know, have a more mature conversation than just like, yeah, we're good. Again, sorry, but foreshadow. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But so that's what I was getting at is like, I think it's pointing, it's setting the groundwork and pointing to a bigger issue that they have as a couple of communicating. Yeah. Well, poor communication is a, uh, is a running theme through many of the couples on this show. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think what often gets lost in early days, Luke and Lorelai, because we're so excited. Yeah, exactly. Is all the red flags exactly. that are also there, which by the way, could also like, it's normal. It's yeah. a new relationship. They've been friends for so long and they're making a transition. So it's normal that you would have kinks to work out. Mm-hmm. But I think even like as fans, we're still so wrapped up in their love story. And especially like watching season five for the first time, not knowing yes. it's coming. You're still in the like, oh, at least they're together. Like, oh, just having yeah, a like, all right, whatever. They'll figure it out. They're kissy, lovey, dovey, you know? Yeah. And you're like, oh, so sweet. Yay. He forgave her. Mm. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But, um, so yeah, I don't know. I just, I wish that maybe they had talked about it a little more other than just to say, yes, I'm sorry. And he's like, you know, I'm sorry for yelling, but you did the right thing. Chow, bye. Go back and enjoy the punch. Like, (laughs) it warranted a bigger conversation in my mind. Yeah, especially considering like the depth of his reaction both with the poor old lady and with Laura yeah. after the fact it's like he clearly you're going through something and that to me is like a, a whole other layer of of their portrayal of, of grief and again I don't think it was that deep it was probably just like the, what what quarrel should Luke and Lorelai have this week I think that's yeah. as far as they went in the writer's room but Luke was clearly like very upset, you know, with with the woman and then with Lorelai. So obviously, yeah, he apologized and they and they wrap it up. But Lorelai, I find you're right. Back, like, yes, back down. And also just like maybe you shouldn't excuse that kind of behavior as as quickly, like not saying like cut him off or don't talk to him. But maybe like, you know, um, have you considered going to therapy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I also think the way we perceive these kinds of interactions mm-hmm. and what we tolerate these days is different than what would have been tolerated back then. Yeah. Unfortunately, even though like, unfortunately, yeah, because even though like young okay girls doesn't feel like it's that old. It's now. No, I know. It, and it know. wasn't okay then. And it's not okay now. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I don't know. By today's standards, I think anyone, a partner yelling at you like that is not great. No, and we just and we discussed that a lot with how Dean reacted to Rory a lot yeah. in the earlier seasons, right? Yeah, and it was kind of like repackaged as this like macho, he's just protective. Yeah. That's how it was kind of spun back then. Spin? Exactly. Spun? I can't spun. Speak. spun. <laughs> you ever get that thing where you're like, is this a word? Yes. Oct- yeah. oct- octopuses? Octopi? Syllabus? Syllabi? Syllabi. Oh, I said uteri the other day, and apparently that's wrong. What is, what's the, what's the, what's the plural of uterus? Uteruses. Okay, that sounds wrong. But is he right? So I was like, seriously, it's uteruses? Because fact- I had to do it. Did we fact check that? Well, because I had to do a search <laughs> for, for uteruses. <laughs> for a uterus, let's just say. And whenever you're doing a search, you need to take into account plurals. 
Yeah. So I was like, uteruses, uteri, uteruses, uteruses. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. Moving on. Um, so moving on to Rory's side, uh, the goings on at Yale. Yes. Rory is asked by Headmaster Charleston to Re- reappearing for the first time since season three. And then swiftly getting the fuck out of my face. Yes. Because uh, nobody needed you. She is asked to host a 16-year-old student mm. who is considering coming to Yale. Right. And she gets very excited. And like we said at the beginning of the episode, she goes on all this, you know, Yale fact-finding mission and whatever. Um, did you know? So I went on my own Yale fact-finding mission. Of course she did. <laughs> um, because I was like... Were there, like, better stories to tell than, (laughs) you know, the tell? Um, Did you know that the university is named after the guy, Eli Yale? Yeah. But he wasn't even the biggest donor to the college. I feel like I did know that. A man named something dumber was the biggest donor, but they couldn't obviously name the college after him because dumber university... (laughs) Is not great. Oh, where'd you go? Dumber. <laughs> oh, yeah, I went to Dumber. <laughs> oh, is that is that Dumber than Dumb? Is there a Dumb University? Oh, Mama Mia. To be fair to him, it's spelled D-U-M-M-E-R. But, you know, yeah. when you're saying it, nobody really knows that. Exactly. Um. So, yeah, there was that that I found out. I also found out that their rare manuscript library, the one that Rory is gushing about taking her to to go see the Gutenberg. Yeah. That place, apparently, is, like, the safest place on Earth. In terms of? Safety. (laughs) Like, security, you mean? Yeah, so, apparently, what happens is, if they did, if the, like, smoke alarm or whatever detects a fire, Mm -hmm. from the time that the alarm goes off, you have 30 seconds to get out of the building before a fire-repellent but deadly gas is like emitted oh oh my and then everything shuts down and the building actually goes underground jesus the fuck (laughs) i'll preserve the rare manuscripts yeah well you gotta preserve that gutenberg (laughs) (laughs) anyways so i went on my own little fact-finding mission and those were i mean i found out other things obviously but we're not gonna bore you with them well, um, since we already we, we already bored by Rory telling them so. Exactly. So I'm not gonna rebore you. But I did like the, the I did like the part where she's like telling this whole long spiel about a bench and she's like, oh wait, that's the wrong bench. So so scratch that out and we'll keep the story, but change the bench. Moving on. Yeah, I mean, also Rory, it's a bench. Nobody gives a fuck. And I feel like I'm I think we're both the same kind of nerds as Rory in terms of. If we had to like, if we if we had to like host someone and talk about something we're passionate about, because clearly clearly Rory is passionate about Yale and academia, so I feel like if we were in the situation where we had to give a presentation or a tour on for someone on something we're passionate about, like Gilmore Girls, you and I would both go all out with the trivia and the nerdy crap. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I would like to think that it's a more titillating subject than Yale University. Absolutely, Rory, get a life. Seriously. Um, okay. So the scene where the episode title comes from mm-hmm. is the scene where they're in the Sterling Memorial Library. Right. And she sniffs a book. 
<laughs> one of the most iconic and most shared across social media scenes of the whole show, by the way. Yeah. Now smell it. <laughs> nothing. Do- nothing <laughs> smells like that. Like, yeah, across every millennial's Twitter page from the years 2010 to 2000 present. <laughs> 2000 present. <laughs> current. Just current. Current. Um, I do love a good smelling book, though. Yes, I do, too. Also, I get aroused if a book is more than 600 pages. <laughs> oh, my, oh, come to mama. <laughs> oh, my God. I want a ringtone of you saying, I get aroused. <laughs> uh, no. But um, so Logan Caesar is like, I'm sorry. Were you just smelling that book? Mm-hmm. And she looks a little like put off. Yeah. I think it's more because like he's interrupting while she's doing this like teachable moment. I think it's because she that for sure definitely because she's in she says she's in presentation mode. I think yeah. it's because she's kind of having to revert to her old self, like her old high school overachieve, like she's still overachieving at this point in 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 college. But I feel like in order to give this presentation, she's kind of had to revert to Chilton Rory because mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like when Headmaster Charleston called her, she was like. Oh, he like I feel so honored that he he like he chose me and it's like okay, Roy, you don't you don't have to still you don't have to still impress him. You're not a student there anymore. And even yeah. at the end even at the, at the end of the episode, once they lose her, spoiler alert, um, she's like I think I might retroactively fail high school because like she let down her old high school principal. So I feel like in order to give this tour and be like go all out in order to be Rory Gilmore in this tour, she has to revert back to Chilton Rory. And then seeing Logan like you don't fit in Chilton Rory's world. Yeah, I also think, like, the thing you said about disappointing Headmaster Charleston, Mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, that definitely comes from Rory reverting back to her Chilton self and never feeling good enough for Chilton. Mm -hmm. But also, like, I feel like there's a little disappointing a male authority figure in there. Yeah, for sure. Can somebody say daddy issues? (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I think she's just, um, I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the majority of it is just like I'm in presentation mode. Can't you see I'm teaching here? Yes. Like, and, and clearly Logan doesn't take school as seriously as her. So I think part of her is also like, you know, he starts talking about take her to the pub. It's fun, whatever. And she's like, Logan, we're not taking her to the pub. Yeah, exactly. You know? This is an academic journey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think there's all kinds of things going on there. Um, But. You know, that's where the line comes from. Not as cute as Pushkin. Um, Can I just say, I looked up Alexander Pushkin, who, by the way, if you're not familiar with him, was a Russian poet from the from the Romantic age. Mm-hmm. Um, not cute. No, not cute. I'll take Logan, I'll sure take Logan Huntsberger or Matt Zuckery uh, over that poor, unfortunate soul any day. Yeah, well, um, he had that weird, like, sideburn beard thing going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that like that was rampant in the first season of Bridgerton. Yes, yes. Yeah. So not great. Although who's to say what he actually looked like because 1800s, not an accurate portrayal of him. No, and all you had back then was portraits that were painted, and the port the artist could have hated you and made you horrifically ugly in your portrait. I mean, I don't think he would have approved it though. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know he could have that bad i wouldn't have approved it <laughs> he could have like embellished a little in terms of i don't know you know you know what i mean have you seen his baby portrait 
I haven't. Oh, Even boy. more terrifying. <laughs> you know how before this episode we were talking about Flounder the Fish, CGI? Yes. <laughs> this is also something that haunts your dreams. Oh, dear. I'll, I'll send it to you. It's fine. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um. So at the end of the episode, the no, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. In the middle of the episode, let's say, during one of Lori's, Lori's, oh my fuck, during one of Rory's lectures, mm-hmm. Logan and the gang play a prank on her. Yes. Where Colin pretends to be her lover, and then Logan pretends to be her new lover, and then they get into a fist fight, and then Finn walks in and tells her to give them back their balls. Mm. It, feel, it makes me feel icky. Yeah. I, so you know that scene where Anna's saying, do you think they'll get in trouble? Yeah. And he's like, probably not. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of understand how people are annoyed with Logan at this stage of the season, because it's like, he's perfectly embodies that rich white guy, no consequences attitude. Yeah. Especially like when you juxtapose that with, you know, we've had a couple of episodes with Marty, who we know works a couple of jobs and works really hard in his classes and is like still broke and fairly middle class, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like Marty can't catch a break, <laughs> kind of thing. So I can understand why people are really frustrated with Logan at this point because I'm really frustrated with Logan at this point as much as I love him. Mm-hmm. Um, not a cool thing to do. No, and what gets me is that obviously he made the scene. He made a scene like this. Because he has feelings for Rory as Marty, exactly. so yeah. Marty so eloquently points out because she's be, like, it is it is annoying how naive Rory can be like that. Yes, sometimes. I was gonna say I think she 100% needed to be checked in that instance. Yeah, and but to me, what bother what bothers me the most is that Logan can make such a spectacle in front of a class, like interrupt a class, no consequences, as you said, and then still act like a dick and treat her like garbage. As, yeah, to as, me, he's like kind of gaslighting her. Exactly. I think it's like that's all part of his his shtick, you know, his his yeah. rich his rich white privileged aesthetic, <laughs> where lifestyle more so more so than aesthetic. Yeah. Um, that's part of it. Like he can like, it's like this. It's this like pseudo reverse childhood playground drama where it's like the the boy likes the girl, but he's gonna do he's gonna be mean to her in public, and I don't know. You know, it's. It's very childish. <laughs> yeah, it's the young adult equivalent of pulling a girl's pigtails on the playground. Exactly. Which, by the way, why do we let that happen? I don't know. Why are we always like, oh, don't worry, he just likes you. I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna put my fist down your throat. <laughs> That's the second time you've told me you say you're gonna put you're gonna put your fist down someone's throat. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Um, yeah. So to me, like at the end, where they're where they're kind of having their their talk when Rory sends Anna away to the Froyo social. Which, and, you know what? You were asking for it. <laughs> well, but yeah, I'm just like, if you like her, mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of a continuation of what he told her at the Life and Death Brigade event. Like, he sees her giving this tour and, like, talking about books and shit, and she, he's still thinking in her head, like, she doesn't have any adventure in her life. She's still really, like, sheltered and stuff. We're going to do something to to push her buttons. Yeah. Not justifying this at all, by the way, because I would have been... Listen, I would have been raging if somebody did that to me. She's right. Like, that's my professor who grades my papers. <laughs> and for him to say, like... 
but don't worry about it. I can get you one-on-one time with him because, yo, my dad's friends with him. It's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> no, in this instance, I really, really hate him. It's a, It was a dick move overall. It, it very much was. Like, And that's another thing. Like, If you like someone, just tell them you like them. You clearly have no problem with dating girls. Like, you like her, then tell her you like her and ask her out. I Don't did like. I, w- one thing I did like in this in this instance was um, how, like, Logan kind of also checks her on how much how much effort time and effort she's putting into making this a perfect experience for Anna, and she's like, if he says like, listen, if she if she if she thinks college is a joke after spending one day with you. And she was always gonna think college was a joke, and I think yeah, that's I mean, that's important here. Like Rory did not fail. Like that girl had a had her own preconceived notions about college, and clearly was not listening. So yeah, honestly, as nice as that moment was, that line, mm-hmm. and as as much as that made me think, like he actually does really know her. Like he knows she's serious about her stuff. Sorry, it doesn't excuse everything else. <laughs> uh, no, obviously not. I just think no. I know. Of- I'm just saying, like, still a dick. I don't care that you said that. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> So then they lose Anna and she calls Marty to kind of help her. And Marty basically tells her, like, you're being dumb. He obviously likes you. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, it is annoying how naive she could be sometimes. I know. And I think in this in this scene, Marty's really, um, I guess, sad that she is. You know, he's telling her, you know, you're in. You're in the it's crowd now, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that makes him really sad. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it's... Uh, they're friends. And these are people who haven't really necessarily treated him very nice in the past. Yeah. So, he's very conflicted, clearly, at the end, right? <laughs> Just as I am now. <laughs> but, like, it's really sad to watch. That's why, like, I always, like, I know I said in our last episode that I wish, um, you know, Rory and Marty could have had some, like, casual relationship where it didn't, it wasn't as significant as the three men in Rory Gilmore's life that everyone has to debate for the rest of time. Um, but that, that obviously touches on, you know, why is every every boy that Rory meets falls in love with her? It's a yeah. separate issue. Um, but no, I, I, I've always felt for Marty in this, in this scenario because, yeah, like you said, well, even regardless of him liking Rory and having feelings for Rory, he can see Logan also has feelings for her. And sorry, like, um, which which man's going to win out in that in that scenario? Like, we all know there's like all of us. I'm sure like you and I would probably embody the Martys of the world in that case where it's like, who's going to get it? Obviously not the Marty. It's going to be the Logan, yeah. you know? So I think in that it's kind of like, you know, the Marys and the Rotas of the world. Um <laughs> You know, like in that instance, like obviously they ha- there's feel- there's romantic feelings are at play, but to put a pin in that, it's it's Marty just being sad that he he can't compete with Logan's rich white privilege. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think um I think it's important to say at this point, like Marty's a good guy. Yeah. Like and like, he's he's, really- like she called him and he came down the stairs. Yeah, I was about to say he's 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 always there for her. Like she can call him whenever he comes over, brings her food, even though he's broke. Like, you know, they yeah. study together. There's no indication that like God, I'm sorry, like I'm thinking like later on <laughs> now he becomes a dick. Yeah. But like, you know, at this point in the game, he's really nice to her and 
he's really a good friend and a great presence, I find, in the show overall. And I don't blame season seven, Marty, for season seven, Marty's actions. I blame the writers who just yeah, half who just, who just asked that entire storyline. Yeah, and just completely lost their fucking minds. But anyways. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I definitely felt for him at this point in time as well. Um, and, you know, it is very annoying when Rory's like, no, he doesn't like me. You're insane. <laughs> Shut up, Rory. Shut up, Rory. Uh, and also the fact that... Um, you know, in the beginning of the episode where Richard brings up Logan mm-hmm. and Lorelai and Rory end up having a conversation um, outside before going into Emily's about, like, you know, what's the deal with this Logan guy? And Lorelai's clearly not thrilled because, oh, he's the limo guy. Oh, limo boy. Swell. <laughs> well, you know. Um, it, it, <laughs> I don't know, in that moment when she's talking to her mother and she's like, no, he's just a friend. Like, I'm focusing on me right now because after Dean, I just want to focus on me. I think she's also kind of naive with her own feelings. (laughs) Yeah, she because like we said, it. she's never like she's had until this point. She's dated Dean and she's dated Jess. And and as as Lorelai put it in season four, she's never really dated. She had two long term high school boyfriends yeah like more or less so for her like she's it's like it's just her navigating these new adult feelings these new these new adult romantic feelings that that differ from the relationship she's had in the past which were high school puppy love essentially yeah for sure um and i think that's also part of rory's growing up process is she's also kind of learning to navigate her own feelings yeah and you know having feelings for a guy that she met at school that her mother is clearly not crazy about that her grandfather thinks makes a handsome couple like you know that's also going to be difficult for her to navigate as the season goes on Um, considering that like not like what 10 episodes ago rory gilmore was in a place of uh, you know, feeling lonely and not knowing her place in life and being insecure about leaving childhood and graduating to adulthood that she fell back in the arms of her married high school boyfriend. And yeah. now, just 10 episodes later, she's, <laughs> uh, you know, having forced with the reality of navigating complex, well, complex, grown I mean, up. I think, I think complex is a good word for, for Rory at this stage in her yeah, life. Yeah, like, com- so I guess like complex adult feelings, more or yes. less. I agree. I agree. I agree. You know, uh, there's one part. There's one part of this episode that I'm shocked you have not brought up. Well, I wanted to save the best for last. The return of Terrence. Yeah, number one, the return of Terrence, and just Paris's storyline in general in this episode <laughs> is great. Yes, um, it is. So in the beginning, when I asked you like what part specifically, for because for me it was really this part specifically, Paris in general. Yes. Um, I think the writing for her character in this episode in particular was super strong. Yeah. And it brought back the snarky Paris that we love. Yeah. That, like, in some ways we didn't see a lot of in season four because she was dating an 80-year-old. Mm-hmm. Or he was meant to be 60, but whatever. <laughs> 80's he's, fine. He's he's na- nasty. Um, May, May Ming Dynasty, remember? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the return of Terrence, who is complaining that Paris is not putting herself out there. 
Well, first, first we have to establish where Terrence was all this time. Yeah, Apparently in, re- in rehab. Rehab. <laughs> I didn't even know that the court could order you to rehab. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, realistically, I knew that. But for how long? I just find it's hilarious. You can still find work as a life coach after going to yeah, court-ordered rehab. Yeah, my life is so great. I had to go to court-ordered rehab. Please hire me to fix your life. <laughs> right? No, super terrible. Oh. Um, so essentially, Terrence's complaint with Paris is that he's not putting her him, herself. She's not putting herself out there. And Paris's thing is like, he just died. And I'm like, girl, get over him. And I love how Terrence is like acting as all of us. You know, he's like, uh, he was. What did he say? Like he was a thousand years. Something to the effect that he was a thousand years old when you met him. You know, so he was half dead when you met him. Yeah, half dead when you met him. So yeah, yeah that's that's a, that's a fact. So yeah. where's the, where was the lie? Well, there is no lie. But I also <laughs> really love the fact that when Par- when Rory's talking to Headmaster Charleston and she's like, "I just got your message." And he's like, "Sweetie, that was a little passive aggressive. We should talk." <laughs> like Terrence, just shut the fuck up and go back to rehab. <laughs> right. So funny. Oh, anyways, um. So I guess Paris kind of takes Terrence's advice to heart because she decides to put herself out there at 11 o'clock at night on like a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Looking great, by the way, that outfit was really great on her. Meeting up with Spike and Drusilla, of course. Exactly. 11 o'clock at night. Um, and then the second part of that, um, putting herself out there, was going speed dating. Yeah. Um, would you ever try speed dating, by the way? I kind I kind of think I want to, but it's just like, where would you find adequate gay speed dating, honestly? Yeah, like, I mean maybe you can find them in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Big enough city. <laughs> yeah, I don't do. I don't, big uh, enough city. I don't want to end up with a francophone though. That's the problem. <laughs> Relax. I'm telling you, grinder. <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, the reason I bring it up is because I also just recently watched the episode. Um, of New Girl, where they're, they're at the Indian matchmaking event. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's a speed dating component to that. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I just I just find it really fascinating. Um, so she sits down with the first guy who she verbally eviscerates. He deserved it. 100%. Bye, Jack. I'll write mother immediately. <laughs> then she sits down with the second guy who's a drama major. Okay, but first of all, what exactly, who, like, your name is Paris, or did your parents travel a lot? That's a, that's a terrible question, terrible. Well, that's why she hit him back with, well, your name is Jack, did your parents change tires a lot? <laughs> or plug phones into walls a lot? <laughs> yeah, but I also, I, listen, I know it's Paris and we love her, but you're at a university speed dating event, I don't think it's out of the question for somebody to ask you what your major is. Yeah, but, well... That, but also, how about you weed out the drama, the drama majors, obviously. Yeah, I mean, so the drama majors, I understand why Paris rejected him. But to be fair, Yale has like a world-renowned drama school. That's where Meryl Streep studied. That's true. L- listen, that guy was no Meryl Streep. No. But, um, so yeah, I understand Paris's logic, but I wouldn't, if I were at a Yale college speed dating event and the guy was a drama major i would have been like tell me more yeah but you know it's paris so we love it <laughs> um and then paris sits down at doyle's table yes and doyle reveals that he has been to three of these speed dating events uh. and they sort of 
uh, hit it off talking about ancient artifacts. Yes, which is that a metaphor <laughs> for astroforming? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. But they hit it off, and she ends up waving the next girl away when the bell rings, and they have sex. Yes, they bounce on the bed. They bounce on the bed. <laughs> um, and um, I don't know. Unexpected? I don't know. I think it. I think there was a lot of sexual tension between them up until that point. So I wasn't. You remember the first time I watched it? I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I was waiting for them to bang. Really? I think so. I'm, I don't... Kind of. I vaguely remember it not being shocked. <laughs> okay. Because I remember speaking to a lot of people who were really surprised when it first happened. Um, but I guess it's also because we don't see a lot of Doyle. And um, if, we, if we do, they're arguing. So it's like... I mean, the arguing I can kind of understand. Sometimes when you argue, you're masking that sexual tension. Mm-hmm. Um... But, I mean, in terms of being intellectually matched, they're definitely intellectually matched. Yeah. Um, they clearly like all the same things. Um, they clearly have that passion. Yes. As their arguments show. And he's not 90, so. <laughs> but, I mean, they were stupid enough to think that Rory and Anna walking in was the TV, so I don't know how. I mean, that was kind of dumb. I don't but, know how intellectually matched they really are. <laughs> well, listen, maybe they had just finished and they thought the TV was on. Okay. Too much information. <laughs> you're fictional characters, sir. Okay. And you're 25 years old. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I think um, as the season goes on, it makes more sense to me. But I remember watching it the first time and I was like, oh, okay. I don't know. I just, I get, maybe, I'm in the, maybe I'm in the minority of not finding it to be a shock. was in a shocking pairing. Yeah, I mean, I will say I got used to it very quickly. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, they're both very weird in their own ways. And I did like how by the, by the time a, a year in the life happened, they had been married and, divor- and divorced. But that, honestly, we'll get into that later because I've also tweeted about this. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense for them, I feel like. But I will explain my reasons why later. Um, But yeah, I just... um, I don't know. I think in terms of Paris' character, Mm -hmm. it gives gives the audience a little bit more to look forward to. Because now we're, like, invested in a whole other romance (laughs) that we never really saw coming because it's secondary to Rory's and Lorelai's, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think that scene where they're talking on speakerphone to Terrence... (laughs) Do you hear her? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I hear her. What the fuck? Who, who are you? <laughs> Talk into the phone. I can't hear you. <laughs> Maybe reception at rehab is really bad. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I don't know. I remember being also really excited about the fact that we were going to be uh, getting another storyline, I guess. Yeah, considering, you know, they, they kind of blew it with Lane and Zach, so we had to have some other couple to... Uh... Yeah, I think it's really interesting also that Lane and Zach know where to be found. Yeah. You know? Unfortunately, I mean, I love Lane, but I don't care to see any more of Zach, so... Well, I think the problem is that now that they've that they've hitched the Lane wagon to Zach's horse, <laughs> we don't get them... We don't get Lane individually, which is what we like. Yeah. So the fact that they're not in a lot of episodes, like it's kind of like one on one off. Yeah. I'm okay with it because I don't want to see him. 
see people this is what, this is what we mean when we say who did it hurt when they ruin your when they, they, they ruin your favorite character yes Lane Kim not Roy yeah, exactly <laughs> god damn it but yeah so I think yeah I, I don't know I'm excited about the prospect of Paris and Doyle we obviously know where it goes but yeah. they have some pretty interesting interactions um later on in the season that I also think are really hilarious <laughs> Yeah, and I do have to say, in the scene where um, uh, Doyle and Paris, in a, I don't know, post-coital <laughs> bliss, walk out into the room with Rory and Anna there, um, maybe a key to calming Anna down with the college is so great antics would have been maybe take the Red Bull out of her hands, because she's had, like, three Red Bulls the day before, and, or whatever, whatever, she's had three Red Bulls sometime before and now is having another one out of the fridge it's like maybe that's part of the problem and then you fed her three scoops of ice cream uh yeah so So. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah um so that's for that i think the last scene of the episode is rory getting richard to prank logan to get back at him for pranking her which i love which i love also because the look on his face Hilarious. <laughs> so dumb looking. And I love how Rory was able to get Richard to, to partake in that, you know, especially because earlier in the episode, he was obviously very intent on them being a couple eventually, or, you know, being within each other's reach, kind of. And now, because he pranked her, it's like Richard's the, Richard's the best person to kind of rope into getting him back you know yeah but i think in richard's mind um well obviously he's gonna do whatever rory asks because that's his granddaughter and he has such a soft spot for her but i think he really understands the dynamic of like he clearly pranked her because he likes her and she clearly wants to prank him back because she likes him yeah that's that's true. Or at least that's what he's i think that's what he's hoping mm-hmm. right so like if i can push this handsome couple along why wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I do have to say, though, in the <laughs> on the topic of Richard and and Logan in general in, in this episode, in the beginning, when uh, Lorelai and Rory are having drinks with Richard in the pool house, and he's talking about, oh, well, you need, you make a handsome couple, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, his father owns half new chairs in the country. She's like, yeah, I know. She's like, not a bad connection. Not a bad at all. And he's like, he chuckles to himself. Immediately, my mind created a meme of Richard Gilmore in, in that, like a screenshot of Richard Gilmore in that scene. And it's like, chuckles in nepotism. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, not a bad connection. Yeah, if you're rich and white and privileged. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, ugh, I hate to say it. Maybe I don't. I don't know. But I think a lot of um, white Ivy League students mm-hmm. are there because of their connections. Obvi- yeah, and, obviously. Like it's, it's yeah, but also like continue to have successes in their careers and in later life because of these connections. Yeah, unfortunately. And it obviously never occurs to them that they're privileged because of that. Exactly. Um, whereas I think Rory is may- maybe a little bit more aware. 
I mean, that's why white men now, like straight white men now, think they're under attack, right? Because they've never they're they're they've never been used to having their privilege checked like it's been in the last few years. Yeah. Um, but I think in in his mind, it's more like like they they seen in in Richard and Emily's world, there's nothing wrong with making connections like that, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with getting involved in somebody and hey, like. Yeah, okay, I like him, but also a big plus, his dad happens to own newspapers and I want to be a journalist, mm. you know? Um, there's nothing wrong with having a Yale alumni party and introducing her to the Campbell Soup guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> how else is she going to get ahead in life, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a really fine line between wanting your kids or grandkids to have everything and, like, a lot of opportunity and yeah. then also just handing them everything on a silver platter and not acknowledging the fact that you know, there are people that will work a hundred times harder for their whole lives and not even be a tenth of where you are. Exactly. Because of nepotism and because of these connections, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't mean your kid is more deserving either. Yeah. Um, your kid may be even fucking dumb, but <laughs> you know, it's just um. I I find a lot of those themes come out in the later seasons of Gilmore Girls. Because we talk about, um, because there's more opportunity to talk about things like classism and um, hierarchies and stuff like that. But, yeah, it just never even occurred to Richard that, like, he, she could like him just to like him. Mm-hmm. And who gives a fuck about the connection, you know? Um, yeah, and- no, I think, I think, I think obviously classism was probably a, Apparents at the time too, like even when the show aired in the 2000s. But yeah, I think, for sure. I th- but I think it's even more so blaringly obvious to us now, especially, <laughs> I guess, in an age of nepo babies, as the internet has branded them, and hilarious, a uh, 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 storm of pop culture outrage that circled around nepo babies in the last few months. That's why mm-hmm. I find like nepo and nepotism are very key trendy words at the moment so that's why when i thought chuckles and nepotism would be a funny meme from this episode um yeah so there was there was actually another pop culture reference that i wanted to ask you about in this episode um are you aware of suzanne summer's history as a spokeswoman for the thigh master i am actually probably not as (laughs) as much as you but i am so when suki um Suki's helping Lorelai clean out the well, clean out slash make room for all of this stuff that she's had to get, I guess, get with the boat from the old lady because this someone was buying both the boat and everything in her garage, so she had to buy the boat and all of this junk, which is a thousand thigh masters apparently. Yeah. Um. So I guess for those who don't know, I guess the thigh masters this like 80s, um, exercise equipment that you like use to tone your thighs i guess i've never actually i know what they look like but i've never seen them i've not never seen them never used them yeah um, they're still sold today so. yeah so um the thigh master rose to popularity thanks to uh, aided by um actress suzanne summers who um is probably best known in pop culture as um chrissy snow on three's company which i i loved that show growing up for a while yeah, and it was I I loved it more so when um like the earlier seasons when the Ropers were the landlords and that I thought that was that was, it was a really funny show. Even though now you watch it and it's like it was funny when you were eight, but it wasn't it's not funny now. 
Um, anyway, so she actually kind of got into the Thigh Master and spokes modeling and infomercials as a result of her dismissal from Three's Company, which was quite controversial at the time. Do you know anything about this this uh, this story? Her dismissal? No. Okay, so um, and it's it's shitty and it was sexist and unfortunately she became like a kind of a pariah as a result in in like the the Hollywood, which was not fair in, in retrospect. So um, I think, so according to Wikipedia, when Three's Company began its fifth season in late 1980, Summers demanded a hefty salary increase from 30000 to 150000 an episode and 10% ownership of the show's profits. And a lot of people thought this was, a lot of people thought this sudden demand came from her new husband. And so ABC denied the raise because it was um, quite a quite a hefty raise. And so Summers refused to appear in um, some episodes of this of the show and like made excuses that she had a broken rib and couldn't come into work. Um, and so they because she was demanding a, a pay raise, essentially, they kind of just phased her out of the show. And at one point, according to Wikipedia, her role was decreased to just 60 seconds per episode. Um, so after ABC fired her from the program and terminated her contract, she sued the network for two million, saying her credibility in show business was damaged. And essentially, so she was the lawsuit was settled by an arbitrator who decided that she was owed just thirty thousand dollars for a single episode that she wasn't paid for. Um, and all the future rulings favored the network and producers. So and, Suzanne Summers is like a modern day Katherine Heigl. Pretty much. And essentially all she like she talked about it years later and pretty much all she said was she was just act, she was just asking to be paid as much as popular male stars at the time, which yeah. she wasn't like to think thirty thousand dollars in the early 80s. I don't know how much that would be today, but mm-hmm. certainly certainly not as much as a male star was making. So I'm sure she went in and was like John Ritter is making one hundred fifty thousand or more for per episode. Like why? Like I'm I'm one of the main stars, too. Why am I not getting that? And apparently um that whole debacle caused a rift between her and John Ritter and they didn't speak for 20 years until um apparently they, they smoothed things over shortly before he died in 2003 honestly though like what a baby who Suzanne Summers or, or no, John, John Ritter yeah I don't know that happens how would you take a colleague <clears throat> asking for what she's worth personally like she's not saying take away John Ritter's salary to give it to me yeah. She's saying, just pay me what you're paying John Ritter. It's not about you, John. Yeah. And funny, nice, funnily but... enough, this ha- this this happened, a similar situation happened with Cindy Williams, who just died recently um, on Laverne and Shirley. If mm-hmm. some of you may recall, um, the last season of Laverne and Shirley was just Laverne because Cindy Williams left the show because she wasn't getting... They um, act Shirley. Yeah, she wasn't getting the salary that she wanted. Again being influenced by a husband who was telling her what she was worth and what she should ask for um which is a sad sadly a trend is that you know it's it's other men who have to kind of have to tell people like show women like look this is what you should be getting and you're not getting it because they don't they don't know how to ask for it which i think is really shitty um but at the same but similar similar thing happened like and she and penny marshall who played laverne didn't speak for many many years until they eventually i don't think i think i remember reading in um, penny marshall's memoir that they still disagreed on what had happened on the show and stuff that went down but they agreed to disagree and still became like like salvage the friendship until they they both died sort of thing so anyway that's how she became a spokesperson for the thigh master before that she 
um, did some Playboy covers, which, you know what, no shade, because you were fired from Three's Company, and you had the body, so you know what, you do you. She also, um, didn't she also put out that hormone book? Yeah, so that's also all, all into the twenty into the 21st century, she's become more controversial for a book called Ageless, The Naked Truth About Bioidentical Hormones. She also had that other one that, um, well, anyways, it'll come to me, but the one that got really, really popular because it was featured in Sex in the City. Yes, I remember that. And, like, apparently Samantha's menopause is cured. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And that was, that. I think that was also about the hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, yeah, all her books have to do with hormones. Yeah, because it and was, like, like, dieting and, like, bullshit like that. And I think, I think from what I read just before before we recorded she um like she was under fire for um her menopause treatment because it like it's it was discredited medically um and apparently she's also promoted alternative cancer treatments that have received criticism from the american cancer society um did she have cancer i have no idea (laughs) um uh maybe she did i don't know i'll look into that yeah, she had. Oh yeah, she, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Yes, in two thousand one, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay. Right. Wow. Uh, right. Yeah, um, she's written a lot of books that are about hormones and menopause. Yeah. And a lot of them are not great. Oh, in January in January 2013, she suggested that Adam Lanza went on his shooting spree at Sandy Hook Elementary School due to the level of toxins in his diet and the household cleaners he was exposed to. She stated that these chemicals may over-electrify the brain. Okay, Suzanne. Go back to the nursing home. Yeah, so she's not she's not a perfect <laughs> she's she's a bit of a problematic public figure, but anyway, that's how she became the spot the the, the thigh master spokesperson. <laughs> Listen. You could still watch those ads, those vintage ads on mm-hmm. YouTube. Please do, because <laughs> I mean, she did have great thighs. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, and she like, and while you're at it, Jane Fonda's workout videos. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. I remember I found. I think I told you this at the time. I found like two VHS tapes of like Jane Fonda's workouts um, mm-hmm. at a at a library book sale. And I regret not buying them. Just would have been fun to. Just would have been fun. Them. To have I think them. I would have bought them. <laughs> Jeffrey, where can they find us? Um, they can find us across the socials. You can follow us on Twitters at Gilmore Podcast, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. You can support us on Patreon um, at patreon.com slash Gilmore Girls Podcast. And should you feel the need to email us, you could do so at Gilmore Podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye.